Welcome to the Amplify Church podcast. Today you will hear an uplifting and encouraging message from our pastor, Jason Howard. Our hope is that you would be able to experience the presence of God right where you are and that you would grow in your relationship with God. I'm starting a new collection of talks today, and I want to talk about wholeness. I want to talk about wholeness. In Isaiah chapter 53, talks about what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Isaiah 53 verse 4, surely he took our pain. Surely he bore our suffering. I love that. You know, I think sometimes um, Christianity gets this sort of impression, especially churches like ours, where it's like, you're supposed to be happy all the time and everything's supposed to go well. But unfortunately, what, what that does is that when things don't go well, it forces us to hide and put up a mask sometimes. But the incredible promise in Isaiah 53 is that he knows and understands our suffering. And if you have been suffering, that is okay because he understands it and he knows the suffering. In fact, he took it himself. It says, surely he took our pain, he bore our suffering We didn't understand. We considered him punished by God. In other words, we didn't understand what was going on, talking about the moment at the cross and also many of us not really understanding the impact of the cross. But then Isaiah specifies, but here's the impact of it. He was pierced for our transgressions, our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities, all of our mistakes. But listen to this. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. The punishment that brought us what? was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we are healed. And that word, and I talked about this a little bit on Good Friday, but that word peace, the punishment that brought us peace was on him. That word peace in the Hebrew is the word shalom, which has a lot of meaning. It's a very deep word, but it is not simply just this idea of emotional tranquility. It is much, much, much more than that because this idea of peace means that everything in your life is as it was intended to be. You are functioning perfectly according to original design. And as a result of that, There is peace between you and God. There's peace between you and people. There's peace in your finances, in your emotions, in your home. There's peace, but it's not a peace that is circumstantial. It's a peace that happens in here. So it's a peace that lives in me regardless of circumstances, but yet because of what it does to me, it creates peace in my circumstances. And I can't control many of my circumstances because I can't control what other people choose and what other people do. But the promise here is that there's something in me that is greater than what anyone else does or says or is. And that peace in me can affect the world that I live in. And so the promise is peace, but the peace begins within. So the punishment that brought us shalom was on him. So this shalom, this peace, I'm gonna use the word wholeness, is not something that I created or I conjured up or I made happen. It's something that he purchased at a very, very costly price. And I had nothing to do with that transaction other than to simply receive it. And how do I receive it? Through faith, which means I believe it. And many of us still do not believe 
in what Jesus accomplished for us because we're living as if the cross doesn't affect our everyday life. So what I'm going to do over the next few weeks as we head towards summer is we are going to talk about how to take hold of this so that we can live life in shalom or in wholeness. Here's my definition of wholeness. Wholeness is being healthy and strong in who I'm made to be. So I know who I've been made to be and I am healthy there and I am strong there. I'm not healthy and strong in what I'm not made to be. And I'm not healthy and strong according to my own definition or opinion. I'm following a higher pattern which was given to me by my creator. And within that pattern, I am healthy and strong. So um, a little while ago, I, was, I, I like to hike. I like to spend time in the woods. And I was doing a hike a little while ago um, up in the Laurel Highlands. And it was a hike, to be honest with you, I was not prepared. I was actually on my way to Philadelphia um, to visit our, our church out there. And I realized that I had a little bit of extra time before I had to get there. And I was like, I'm gonna pull off on the side of the road and hike. I did not have my shoes. I did not have a water bottle. I did not have anything. And I went to this trailhead, which I have been to this trailhead before. And I had done, you know, one of the shorter trails, which I was familiar with. But there is another trail and there's no trail map either, by the way. There's another trail that goes up to the top of the ridge. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna do that. No clue how long this is gonna take me, not prepared. So, you know, common sense <clears throat> failed that course in high school. But anyway, I go, I wish they taught that course in high school, actually. Pray, someone preach. <laughs> so, I, so I go up to the top of the ridge and this is, this is a while and it's a pretty steep incline. And um, it's interesting how you, how you notice down in, in the valley, the trees there are really, really big. Like they're very, very tall. You know, they're very, they're very thick around. But as you ascend into higher elevation, the trees seemed to get smaller. And when I got to the top of the ridge, the trees actually were not that large. And when you get up there, you realize why. And it's because the wind whips around a lot there. And, and at the top of this ridge, there was a huge rock outcropping, which was awesome. And so I kind of scaled up to the top of it. And I'm sitting up there and you know, just talking to Jesus a little bit hanging out, totally unaware of time or water or anything essential, but you know, I'm hanging out on the top of a rock and, and I'm sitting there and I realize that there's a huge rock outcropping and there's no like soil. It's, it's a huge rock outcropping. And I realize that there is a tree right next to me. And I look at this tree and I'm like, how is this tree here? And I looked and, and the tree was not as big as the ones in the valley, but it was pretty sizable and it was full bloom. And I'm like, how is this tree even here? Because it's not even in soil, it's on a rock. And so I looked around and you realize that there are all of these roots that you can't see that twist and turn around the crevices and the breaks and the rocks that find their way to soil. And while this tree looks like it's in a super precarious situation, this tree was firmly attached to that rock. And as a result, it survived in really harsh conditions because first of all, it is harsh up there because the wind whips like crazy. Second, it's not in ground. So it doesn't have this root system that normal trees have. And, and I'm letting, like watching this tree, looking at this, and I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to me saying, Jason, 
It is possible for you to be healthy and strong even in adverse circumstances. I designed this tree to be able to have life and to be fruitful even in very difficult in a very difficult environment. But this tree has not become a victim of the environment, but it has adapted in order to maintain health and strength, regardless of the fact that it's under very high pressure wind and very little soil, and it is rooted on a rock. And what I felt like God was speaking to me as I'm watching this tree is that health and strength can be developed regardless of circumstance. Health and strength can be developed regardless of circumstance. Now, your circumstances will affect your health. But you can have a posture of a victim or you can have resurrection mentality. Posture of a victim is very popular these days. Everyone's a victim. And if you wanna be a victim, you will spend the rest of your life complaining, complaining about why your life sucks. But we are not victims because we were told that the resurrection power of Jesus lives inside of us. And so what that means is that they might throw us in a tomb, but we're still gonna live. I might be perched on a rock under high velocity winds, but I'm still gonna be healthy and flourish in these circumstances. And that, to be honest with you, is a decision you have to make. Am I gonna be a victim of life or am I gonna believe that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, that he secured for me wholeness, healing, and a resurrection power? And if I believe that, then if I find myself on a rock outcropping in high elevation under intense winds, I will still thrive here. I will still thrive here. And if you don't make that decision, I can't help you get whole. If you're waiting for someone else and something else to give you health and strength, I can't help you because I got none of that for you. But what I do have for you is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, which can live inside of you. What I do have for you is the promise of healing that was purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's what I offer you today. But in order to take hold of that, you have to decide that you're gonna take hold of it. So the first thing that I'm learning about this tree is that health and strength can be developed regardless of circumstance. But, but the other thing that, that this tree showed me is that what's below the surface is more important than what's visible. That, that this tree's ability to be healthy and strong, it was determined by this complex root system that had really navigated and worked its way around all of these different crevices in the rocks to find water and soil. And you don't see that on the surface. But yet that's actually greater than the tree that you see on the surface. And I would be willing to argue that while the trees on the top of the ridge might be a little bit smaller when you look at them, they actually have much more strength than the large ones that grow in the valleys because they have to learn how to be strong in order to compensate for the adverse environment in which they find themselves. Which is why God does not always make your circumstances happy, clappy, nice. He doesn't, you know why? Because you wouldn't be strong if everything was easy. And he's not afraid of some resistance because resistance will make you strong. Now, I do not believe that God sends bad things to you. I do believe that God allows a lot of things to happen that are outside of his will and design because he loves us and he gives us free will. But I also believe that God doesn't always shield us from all of the difficulties in this life. 
Because if he shielded us from every single difficulty, I would never learn how to be strong and healthy. So Ephesians chapter three, Paul talks about the roots that we need. And here's where I wanna start today talking about wholeness. I wanna talk about the fact that you've gotta develop what's under the surface. If you wanna be whole, it starts by what's not visible. If you wanna be healthy, it starts with the things that people don't see and applaud. You know, I mean, people who are really healthy are not the people who post gym selfies every day. If you post a gym selfie every day, it probably means that you're insecure and you're looking for affirmation. It doesn't mean that you're healthy. Was that too harsh? Was that just too direct? And I post gym selfies sometimes. But what I wanna say is that if all you're worried about is what's visible, that's not where you cultivate health and strength. If, if all you worry about is what people see, you're not really cultivating health and strength. You're probably feeding your own unhealth. Because people who are constantly worried about their image and their perception are not people who've developed real health and strength. Because when you've developed real health and strength and wholeness, you don't worry as much about what people think because the proof is in the pudding. They'll see it. All right, so Ephesians chapter three talks about the roots that we need to develop. And this is Paul praying for the church in Ephesus. It's one of my favorite verses. So if you've been here before, you've probably heard it. He's praying for us and he says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And I pray that you being rooted, can you say rooted? I pray that you being rooted and established in what? Love may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high, and my pages are bent, <laughs> and deep the love of Christ is. To know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all of the fullness of God. So he's saying, my prayer is that you'd have roots. But what are the roots? He's saying you've got to be rooted first in the love of God. Now I know that that might sound a little simple and surfacey, but it is not because many of us are working very hard to compensate for our insecurities. And a lot of the decisions that we make are really about giving some painkillers to our identity issues. And what Paul is talking about here is real wholeness, real strength, and real health comes from developing your identity within the love of God. Which means that your insecurities are satisfied fully and completely in the love of God. And I've had to battle my whole life with insecurities, with thoughts and questions about whether or not I'm good enough, whether or not, you know, I have what it takes. And I think all of us battle with that. And we're good at compensating for that in public. But what's below the surface matters a lot more than what's visible. Because whether or not you can be healthy and strong is determined by what is developed below the surface. And many of us try to deal with identity and insecurity issues in public. 
We're trying to get people to perceive us a certain way, to see us a certain way, to come across a certain way. And all we're doing is focusing on curating what is visible without actually dealing with the root of the problem, which is what's below the surface. And so Paul says, you've got to develop roots in the love of God. But let's talk about what that is, because what is love? What is the love of God? Because um, our world has a lot of weird definitions for love, and most of them are, are very unhelpful. In fact, destructive. Lo- love is not approval of everything that you do. Love is not a happy, gushy feeling that costs me nothing. Love is not just, I smile at the person at Starbucks when they give me a coffee, so I'm a nice person. I love them. No, no. God's definition of love is much deeper than that, much more significant than that, and much more powerful than that. In 1 John 4, we are given a definition for love. We are told this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So he's saying, if you want to know what love is, you're not going to find it in this world because that's just a facsimile. That's just a, a, a distorted image of real love. Real love is this. God loves you when you had nothing at all to offer him and he made the ultimate sacrifice for you before you had even chosen whether or not to receive his love, he sacrificed everything for you to have his love. So if you want to know what love is, love is pouring yourself out for the benefit of somebody else. Love is sacrifice. Love is laying myself down for the benefit of other people. That's love. But I love this verse, how it says, this is love. Not that you love God, but that God loved you. In other words, you're not going to find love if your definition of love has anything to do with your behavior or performance. Because love is not based on human decisions. Love is a higher standard. It is a higher source. Love is almighty God who needed nothing from you, who gave everything of himself to you that you might have life. And what Paul is saying is we've got to root our lives in that truth. That his love for you had nothing to do with you. It had only to do with him. Had nothing to do with your decisions, your behavior, your choices, because he died on the cross for you before you were even born. Hello? But yet, this is the perfect example of love. And so for me, I know that in theory, right? Like I understand God loves me. God loved me with grace and forgiveness. And he gave this incredible sacrifice for me. I I understand that in theory. But the truth is, is that I often have a lot of beliefs that are shaped by my experiences in this life that teach me the opposite of God's love for me. And so I wanna give you a handful of things that either I've experienced or I've seen other people experience that destroy the roots that we're meant to have, that we need to have. Can I give them to you? Here's the first belief that can destroy the roots of God's love in your life. Number one, believing that I can establish my identity apart from my designer. 
believing that I can somehow determine what's gonna make me happy and whole without being connected to the one who created me to be happy and whole in the first place. And, and a lot of us don't put the roots of our identity down in the love of God because we don't want God to be the source of our identity. Because if God is the source of our identity, then we're not. And, and, the, and right now we are in a religious revolution in our society today. And there is a new religion that is more pervasive in ideology than Christianity is. And it's not really named and it's not really called a religion, but it really is a religion. And, and I would use the word, and I've talked about this before, but I would use the word humanism to describe this new religion. And the idea is that I am God. Now it may not be said explicitly, but that's absolutely how it's outworked. I determine who I am. I determine what I want. And you need to respect my own deity to say that I am and I have and I will and I like. And anyone in anything that disrupts my control of myself is sin and therefore deserves to be consumed and burnt up and sent to hell. And so we have this idea and and our whole culture believes this right now. And if you're not careful, you'll take that right into your Christianity and mix the two together. And it will be this whole thing where it's like, I like God as long as he gives me what I want. And I like God as long as he respects my rights. And I like God as long as he approves of whatever decision I want to make. But what I want to tell you is that it sounds loving to approve people regardless of decisions. But it's not loving. It's not loving if we believe that there is a right that leads to life and there is a wrong that leads to death. The loving thing to do is to say there is a right that leads to life. That's what love is. That's what love is. And by the way, there is a right that leads to life. This this world does not exist because of human intention or design. This world exists because it was created and crafted and designed by a good, loving God and Father. And that is why this world exists. And so if I want to go along with him, I will find life. If I want to resist his leadership in my life at every turn, it will lead me to being at total odds with the very way that life was created to work. And you know where that's going to lead me? Depression, anxiety, frustration, deep selfishness, no ability to sustain relationship, no desire to have family, no desire to do anything at all that has anything to do with pouring myself out for the benefit of somebody else. And that right there is a pretty good picture of, our world is, of where our world is right now. Okay, so I can't be rooted in the love of God if my identity is defined by me. And when my identity is defined by me, I do not become like the tree that is unshakable during high wind seasons. I become the little plant that never got an inch off the ground because the moment that a little bit of wind came up and rose up against me, I had no roots to sustain me and I was ripped to shreds. And again, I think that's a pretty good picture of where our world is right now. I can't handle any resistance in life. And if you give me resistance, then I hate you. It's like, wait, that says more about you than it says about anyone else. It says you have no roots and you don't know who you are. So how do I get to know who I am? I have to dig roots into the love of God. I have to know 
that my identity is not defined by me, it's defined by him. So even a lot of Christians don't let God be the root of their identity. And and you know why religious people don't let the love of God be our roots? Because we don't really understand the love of God. And we're still out here reinterpreting 1 John 4.10. Remember how it says, this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us. We reinterpret that in our religious lens. And you know what we say? This is love. I try really hard to do everything that God wants me to do. And as a result, he's pleased with me. That's how we redefine love. And we don't have roots either because we are constantly worried about whether or not God's gonna reject us, be displeased with us, be disappointed with us, throw us on the trash heap. We're constantly worried about whether or not God's disappointed with us. And that's our religion that does that to us. So the, the first lie is I, I, I decide who I am. And if that's true, I have no roots. The, the second lie is this, believing that God is waiting on me to be perfect before he is pleased with me. And as someone who grew up in the church, that's the one I struggle with a lot more than the first one. Like I get that I'm God's kid, but the one I struggle with is, is he disappointed with me today? Because you know what I know about myself? I'm not perfect. Um, and man, does that drive me crazy? I have like this perfectionism thing about me where I don't have much tolerance for anything at all in my life that's not completely perfect. And I don't know that I always had that as a kid, but I've gotten there as an adult. And I think sometimes when you go through trauma and difficulties, the way you respond to that is to try to control everything so that life isn't traumatic anymore. And what that does is that means that you have to make sure everything is perfect around you. And so you apply a perfect standard to yourself, but sometimes you apply a perfect standard to everyone around you too. And guess what? That doesn't root them in the love of God. That roots them in a performance-based disapproval system. And you know what happens when you're a performance-based disapproval system? There's no roots. There's no roots at all. So is God pleased with you today? Is he disappointed with you? When you woke up this morning, how did God feel about you? When you rolled out of bed and put your feet on the ground for the first time, what was God's thought about you? Let me tell you 95% of the days that I have lived, how I've answered that question, if I'm honest. He's probably thinking, you could do better today. You could be better today. You could try harder today. And if you do, I'll bless you. But if you don't, yeah. But I just want to take you to what the word of God says. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior, and he's there to save you. Again, if my relationship with God is performance-based, I don't need a savior because I am my own savior, which takes us right back to humanism, which is I'm my savior. I'm the one who determines the outcome of my life. It's all up to me. But I don't need Jesus if that's the truth. And this whole thing that we're doing Sunday morning is a waste because the truth is, is that we can't please our way to God. We can't perform our way to God. We can't prove our way to God. He he is the savior, which means we can't do it ourselves and we need someone else to do it for us. So the Lord, your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will not rebuke you. 
but he will rejoice over you with singing. Another translation, he will rejoice over you with joy. Wait, when you got out of bed this morning, he burst forward with joy. He, he was so delighted that you got up today. He says, he rejoiced over you. He had a huge smile on his face. He started doing a praise lap around the heavenly throne. Like my kid's awake. It says, he will rest in silent satisfaction and in his love, he will be silent and make no mention of past sins or even recall them. No mention. So when you woke up this morning, he was not thinking, do better today. No, no, no. He said, I don't even remember the crap you did yesterday. I just love you. I delight in you. You're my kid. How can he not remember my sin? Ah, because of the blood. Because my sin was paid for by the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Number three, you still with me? Measuring myself against other people will destroy the roots of love. Measuring myself against other people. We, we tend to look at other people and say, they're better than me, they're stronger than me, they're better looking than me, they have a better marriage than me, they have a better family than me, they have a better house than me, they have a better career than me, they have a better income than me. They're better at going to church than I am. They're better at everything than I am. And what that does is that feeds our insecurities. And we can never develop roots into the love of God because we're trying to measure ourselves against other people. But look, look at what the word of God tells us in, in Romans. We each have different gifts according to the grace that it's given to each of us. Now, it is okay to look at other people and be inspired by them. You know, I, I, I want someone who knows how to manage their diet better than I do because I want to learn from them, right? I want someone who knows how to invest in real estate better than I do because I want to learn from them. I, I want someone who knows how to preach better than I do because I want to learn from them. But that can be learning from a place of security or it can be a deep insecure motive that causes you to constantly become somebody else because you think somebody else is better than you. And if I was just more like them, then, then God would be happier with me and I'd be more successful in my life. You know, if I could just preach like that other preacher, right? But the truth is, is that you have been given specific gifts and specific grace. The world does not need another Jason Howard. The world does not need another Christina Sander. We've got one. What the world needs is you to be confident in who you were created to be, who knows how to take hold of the gifts that you were given. That's what the world needs. And so if I'm measuring myself against other people, I'll never be free to be who I was made to be. And I will have sick roots. I'll have sick roots. And the most beautiful thing is walking into a room of people who know Jesus, who are completely free and unhindered in their passion, in their faith, and in their calling. That's an atmosphere of freedom. That's why we are told where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Because no one's trying to be anything. No one's trying to put on a mask. No one's trying to prove themselves. No one's trying to work harder to be better. People are like, no, 
I'm God's kid. He loves me. I know who I am. I'm free. I'm not perfect, but thank God I have a savior. I can be who I was made to be. All right, next one. Oh my gosh, I'm running out of time. Next one. Kills the roots. Listening to the voice of the harsh critic will kill the roots of love. Who's the harsh critic? For most of us, it's our own brain. Harsh critic. Could have done that better. Could have been better. Could have handled that better. Could have done that better. What's wrong with you today? Why don't you look like that person? Why don't you do what that person did? That harsh critic will destroy you. But a lot of times we empower the lie of the enemy because we can't recognize that the harsh critic is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. It is Satan who is called the accuser of God's people, the accuser of the brethren in Revelation. It's Satan who's the accuser. It's the voice of God, which is the voice of grace, the voice of truth, the voice of freedom, the voice of love, the voice of forgiveness, the voice of salvation. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so we can't discern the two. And so we constantly live insecure because we inflame and empower the voice of the enemy every time he tells us we're kind of a piece of garbage. And we pay attention to it and we acknowledge it and we mull it over in our minds. And we are just given fuel right to what the enemy wants to do. Because you know, the enemy just wants you to never have the guts to live out the calling that God has for you. He wants you to hinder your own self. He wants you to lock your own self in a prison cell of insecurity and stay there for the rest of your life. And you know who pays the price when you do that? The people who need you to stand up and be the man, the woman of God that you were destined to be. Fathers, your children need you to be strong. Your children need you to be powerful. Your children need you to get over your insecurities and be rooted in the deep love of the Father. And know you're not perfect, but He is. And He lives in you. Women, we need your voice. We need your courage. We need your love. We need your nurturing. But many of you won't because you're too worried about how everyone's gonna think about you. Your insecurities are killing you. Next one that undermines the roots of love, constantly asking myself if I'm doing enough to be good enough. Constantly asking myself if I'm doing enough to be good enough. Now, let me, let me explain this to you. I want excellence. I wanna do things well. You know, I, if I'm gonna do something, I don't, I don't wanna bring sloppy seconds to it. I'm gonna bring, bring my best to it. But there's a difference between wanting to bring my best because the resurrection power of Jesus lives inside of me and the Holy Spirit is on me versus constantly obsessing about, what everything, about everything I do and whether or not it's perfect for the sake of everyone else's approval. That's a very different thing. That's insecure and that will destroy your relationships. It will destroy yourself and it will destroy your calling. Next one. Constantly doubting whether or not I can handle the life that I have been given. Can I really do this? Can I really be this? Can I really be a dad that my kids need? If you couldn't be the dad that your kids needed, God wouldn't have made you the dad of your kids. But a lot of you can't be the dad that you're called to be because your own insecurities take you out of the game. And the voice of the Father to you today is this. Let's get free. Let's be the man you're called to be. Let's be the woman you're called to be. Why? 
Because we have a savior and we have resurrection power and we have the Holy Spirit. Next one, doubting that my original design is good enough. If God needed you to be taller, he would have made you taller. If God, if God needed you to look a different way, he would have made you look a different way. If God needed you to have a different talent, he would have given you a different talent. But you were perfectly curated and designed for your specific calling in life. He does not. I used to obsess about the fact that I wish my voice was lower. Because I still get on the phone with random people and they're like, hi, ma'am. Hi. (laughs) And I used to think, if only my voice was a few pitches lower. You know, that would really eat away my confidence. I didn't want to get on the phone then. I was always trying to, you know, Christian Bale, Batman, my voice. No, you can. (laughs) It's like, if God needed me to have a lower voice, he would have given it to me. I don't know. You might think it sounds a little girly. Can't do anything about it. But, you know, it's all right. He knows what he's doing, and I am who I am, and I'm just going to be fine with that. And so... (laughs) Psalm Psalm 16. Lord, you alone are my portion in my cup. You alone are my portion means you've given me everything I need. I didn't manufacture it. I didn't create it. I didn't perform to get it. You alone gave it to me. And you are the measurement of my portion. That's what cup means. You knew exactly what I needed and you gave it exactly to me. You make me secure. I don't make me secure. My paycheck doesn't make me secure. My title doesn't make me secure. My talent doesn't make me secure. You make me secure because I'm your kid and you made me. The Boundary Lines worship team, you can come up. The Boundary Lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. In other words, surely everything that you've got for me, it is good. But I love how none of this comes from me. It comes from him. I will praise the Lord. I will acknowledge that you're the one that's got what I need. You're the one that tells me who I am. You're the one that I can dig deep roots down into and find the life and the health and the vitality that I need to be strong. You counsel me. You tell me what to do when I don't know what to do. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. That's the key. I keep my eyes on the Lord. I don't keep my eyes on Instagram. I I, I don't keep my eyes on what everyone else is saying and doing. It's on you, Lord. With him in my right hand, I will not be shaken. I can live on the top of a ridge, on the top of a rock outcropping where there is no soil, but even there I will be strong. Why? He's with me because I have gotten roots that have learned how to wrap themselves around the rock, the rock who is immovable. And I have learned through adversity, through difficulty, how to dig my roots around the rock that is Jesus and be secure. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body rests secure because you will not abandon me to die 
And it's not just my body dying, it's my purpose dying. My, my life, my, my calling dying, my mental health dying. My, uh, you won't abandon me to die here. You won't even let me see decay. You make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Do you know where joy comes from? Being rooted in his love for you. I don't have to try to be anything. I don't have to try to earn anything. I just am the one that he loves. So quickly, here are the truths we have to believe. Number one, the blood of Jesus has made me righteous and holy. The blood of Jesus has made me righteous and holy. I didn't do it. He did it. God made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for me so that in Jesus, I could become the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is pleased with me. Why? Because the blood. Jesus is proud of me. Is it because you do everything wrong? No, because you don't. But if you have received his blood, you are his child and your sins have been washed away and he delights greatly over you, which is why I stand on a firm foundation. When you wake up in the morning, some of you call out to God, wondering whether or not he's listening. But you know what? It's his pleasure to answer your prayers. It's his pleasure to hear you call to him. It's his pleasure to love you. It's his pleasure to listen to you. And lastly, Jesus' love for me is not performance-based, but it is position-based. What position? The position of Jesus hanging on a cross, suffocating under the weight of your sin. The position of Jesus stepping out of the empty grave, securing eternal life for you. The position of Jesus who today seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, making intercession for those who would believe in him. It is position based. It's the fact that your sins were positioned on his shoulders on a cross. That your sins were positioned under his feet when he stepped out of the grave. The fact that your sins were positioned to be removed from you as far as the east is from the west when he took his rightful place on the throne in heaven. Stand to your feet. Who has some insecurities they need to get free from this morning? We're gonna get free from our insecurities this morning, all right? Come on with our eyes closed. We only have a couple minutes left in this service, but I believe God wants to do some freeing work in your life today. Now, if you've got insecurity that's eating you up on the inside, we're gonna deal with it. We're gonna go back into worship. And as, as we worship, if you really need some freedom today, we're gonna have our prayer team ready here. They'll be down to my right and my left and south. They'll be under the screens. And let me tell you, one of the most powerful freeing things you can do is come down, let someone pray for you. Tell them, I believe this, this, and this about myself and let them go to war with you so those lies are unrooted from your life so you can walk out of here free and whole and healed in Jesus' name, amen?